find an informative podcast all about training working dogs? Look no further than the LWDG Pod Dog. This weekly show is hosted by me, Joe Parrott, founder of the Ladies Working Dog Group. And I chat to experienced trainers and experts in the field who will give you helpful tips and advice. Whether you're just getting started or you've been working with dogs for years, this podcast will have something for you. So pull up a chair, pour yourself a cup of coffee and tune in to LWDG Pod Dog. Let us help you build a better bond with your best friend. Welcome to another episode of LWDG Pod Dog. Thank you all for joining us, ladies, for this podcast. Hi, uh, my name's Claire Denya and I'm from Family Dog Services based in Maidstone in Kent. Hi, I'm Sam Thornycroft-Taylor and I run Languedoc Gun Dogs based in Gloucestershire. Hi, I'm Rose Sutton. I run Companion Dog Solutions based in West Sussex. Hi, I'm Emma Stevens. I run Cunning Shot Dog Training, which is based both in the East Midlands and in Cumbria. Hi, I'm Abby Reid and I run River Lily Working Dogs based in Hertfordshire. Hello there, I'm Nikki Kenny. I'm one half of Whistle and Wag Dog Training based in Suffolk. Hi, I'm Gemma Martin, the other half of Whistle and Wag Dog Training in Suffolk. So a load of choices about how, how we give your dog's choice. So how we, by training, we give them the option to choose, don't we? But the other fact is that although it is a choice, it's not really a choice. Really, is it? No, because you've tra- trained the choice in the first place. I think that we have lost sight in the UK, especially, in a very small minority of places, on the concept of what the word choice means when we're talking about it with regards to training because I think there is a a small section of people who think choice means the dog gets to choose whatever it wants to do and then I think there's a a more larger percentage of people who believe that choice actually means that we don't punish the dog for getting it wrong we encourage the dog to get it right but there is a right and a wrong. Now, am I wrong in my understanding of that? No, I no, think that's how I see it. This is probably going to be one of those emotive ones where people at the beginning may change their mind by the end or vice versa. So a few days ago, I proposed regarding a dog's choice. And even the word choice, as Sam pointed out to me before we even started this podcast, the word choice even in this, in itself became a contentious issue. So I don't see the need for that within the dog world or the dog community. I know from speaking to some of our members across the pond in Canada that the word choice is very emotive there too. I'm going to speak to the experts about it. What do you think is our challenge with just even, you know, we've been through this as a group on around the word correction. We're having this conversation again now around the word choice. What is it that is getting lost in in translation? I think for me, there is a confusion with what choice means. To me, choice is um, something that I have taught my dog. And then in a situation, they have either chosen to ignore it or adhere to it. So I've already just taught my dog to ignore another dog walking past it on the it, like on the road let's say so we're walking on two dogs down down the road one's on the other side of of the um path and things 
I've taught my dog that when it sees another dog, it sits and it looks for me for a treat. Okay. So we've taught that situation in that moment when the dog clocks the other dog and looks at it, it's therefore down to that dog to make the choice. Actually, I'm going to carry on looking at that dog or I'm going to bark and lunge at that dog, or I'm going to spin around and remember what I was taught and rewarded and choose to do the right thing or the wrong thing. And that is exactly how I see the word um, playing its part in dog training. The post, to bring some context to this, the post was around the fact that there is a very small percentage of trainers, handlers who have taken the word choice to mean something a little bit more broad than that, which is you give the dog choice and you give the dog whole choice. So even within training, the dog has choice to the point where we are not correcting when it's going wrong. We're just allowing it to get it wrong without helping it. I think as a as the founder of the LWDG, my frustration lies in and I'm sure it does for yourselves as experts, the amount of people you see as a result of this not understanding how choice is applied to a dog. I think for for me, a dog to be able to choose something in the first place means they need to understand what they should and shouldn't be doing. I'd also like to add that choice, reward-based training and consent-based training are completely different versions of training as well and I think they're often being blurred and kind of mixed into it as well and so consent-based training for me is that a dog is showing all body language that they are comfortable in the situation they are they're doing and for me it's really important to listen to dogs body language but equally not let them not put them in a situation where they're going to have this choice that they're going to have the ability to choose wrong as well. So it's a, it's a whole mix of kind of all the consent based training and the choice situation that actually as trainers and handlers, you need to guide them into the right directions so that their choices are made easier. Um, I think for me, it's the confusion of how these words are interpreted by our clients. So the word giving the dog choice or consent we might understand what's meant by those terms, but especially for a first-time dog owner, they may not understand what that means. And I've been in many situations with clients where they are literally waiting for the dog to make a choice. And they could be waiting a long time. Now, they literally stand there and say, well, I've just got to wait. I can't I can't ask him to do this because it's got to be his choice. And I'm like, no, that's, that's not what this means at all. But that's where this gets so difficult for our clients because they don't understand. We have to educate the dog and teach the dog how to make the right choice. The easiest way for me to explain my thoughts and feelings on the whole choice is there are almost two layers of choice when it comes to dogs. There are choices that we as their owner, their leader, their guardian need to make. Um, For example, you can't leg it across the road or if you've got a dog that likes to bring you its lead when it feels it's walk time. Ultimately, we are going to make that choice at three o'clock in the morning when we finally got to sleep. No, you're not going to tell me it's time that you want to go for a walk. But then when we're actually out training with them, we do give them an element of choice right from 
day dot when we are trying to teach a puppy to sit we might be using a food reward as a law we're giving them the choice to either follow the law sit and get the reward or don't follow the law the the law don't sit and don't get the reward so they still have a choice but what we're doing is sort of leading them and encouraging them into choosing what we believe is the right choice I think equally following on from exactly what Sam's just said, if the dog then decides to not follow the lure, sit and get the reward, it's then down to the owner to go, why did the dog choose to not do that? Did I put them in the wrong environment? Did I make it too difficult for them? Does the dog not know this at all? And this is the first time I'm teaching it and I'm just expecting them to get it first time. But there is a reason that that dog didn't choose. And it's usually then down on the handler as to why the dog chose what we would deem wrong um in inverted commas um because but ultimately the dog has chosen something and we as a handler have deemed whether that is right or wrong in our own eyes and then it's down to us to teach our dogs to do what we would deem as correct or right over and over again and then and then build up a behavior pattern of doing the right thing over and over again to then get the reward for it yeah and leading on from that um with choice we tend to narrow their choices down if they're struggling with something so that it's easier for them to make the right choice um an example of this would be maybe a retrieving run so if a dog's really struggling with coming back to the owner we narrow down that choice so the only way it can run is back to the owner which then gives us that opportunity to reward that behavior that we're actually looking for and hopefully they repeat it more so sometimes we do narrow down their choices that they can make to help them succeed I'm taking on board everything that you say. Now, I suppose because I'm not a trainer, I can ask this question and I ask it genuinely and sincerely because I love you all dearly. Is it a case, though, that this is, and excuse my language, this is getting far too confusing for new people? Like, they're hearing all this all the time. This, You know, as far as I'm concerned, if I'm coming out with my puppy to a trainer I just want to train my dog I don't want to bat it's baffling enough for me it's baffling enough for me to make sure I ask for sit properties baffling enough for me to to learn all all the stuff I really do need to understand okay before then thinking is my dog consenting to this am I giving them choice you know if if you go into a trainer who's positive training plus minimum version or correction or some way of of balancing both you know and even the word balanced causes uproar in certain areas surely if we're doing that we are overwhelming we're overwhelming dog owners to the point where they get it wrong because we are we're setting them up for failure um i think really for me it's really got to be really simple and when i'm talking to clients i don't want to confuse them using different weird language and terms that actually a lot of trainers struggle to understand I want it to be really really simple and I think when it comes to making choices for my dog it is it is really simple um as long as my dog sees me as the leader who they should trust who they know is going to protect them I'm going to make the right choices I mean that leads them to a whole nother subject but another thing I was going to say is that if you've got a dog that's fearful or a dog that's sensitive, one of the most important things they need to do is to be able to trust that you are making the right decisions for them because they have to listen to you. But yeah, I think 
you know, if my dog sees me as a leader, they'll listen to me. Really, that's what we need to get. We need to look at the relationship when we're training any dog. Once I've really trained what I want my dog to do and they find it rewarding, that's really, really good. But then I want to make it really obvious to my dog that actually any other choice they make is probably not a good idea. And really, for me, it's just that simple. And I think sometimes people can become so blinded by science that we don't actually look at the situation that's happening in front of us. And we think, well, is this right? Should my dog be making this choice, whether to sniff over there or to be paying attention to me? And when I'm trying to train them, and I just think it's really so much more simple and we overcomplicate it so much. Just like to add that um, this whole sort of like debate um, revolves around like us as humans are using like verbal language of which dog has no concept of speech or language. So I just generally say to my clients that if you like what your dog is doing, let him carry on. Let him carry on doing that behavior or reward that behavior. If you don't like what he is doing, then you need to intervene in a positive way and either distract him from doing it, stop him from doing it, or kind of lure him into doing something else. So I think a lot of time us humans, we all argue about words Whereas actually these these dogs don't understand anything about verbal language. Abby, I totally agree with what you just said. Now, that sentence to a new handler probably makes absolute sense. Yeah, if they like what I tell all my clients, if you like it, they can carry on. If you don't like it, you need to do something. That's what I say. But that makes it just so easy. I think that as we add too many complexities to this, not only is it confusing for the dog, because the dog must be looking at the handle and thinking, what do they want? They don't even know themselves what they want. And we are standing there going, oh my God, am I am I ticking every imaginary box that was put into place by by somebody who who's forgot that there is a really simple way of doing this? Yeah, I totally agree. I think we've definitely overcomplicated um, the terminology, especially for new handlers. And for me, consent-based training only really needs to take effect if you can visibly see behavior signs that your dog is really struggling and shutting down or is or is fearful or aggressive the rest of the time most dogs want to do something for their owner and if we've then shown them good ways and nice ways of doing things where they're going to get rewards at the end of it most of the time they will carry on doing that and making that choice to do the right thing over and over again because we've given them a positive start where they've built up this kind of reward-based training and if at any point corrections needed it's usually because something has gone wrong in some way shape or form in which case it's back to the drawing board it's not thing and when we say even correction or we're not forcing a dog if a dog chooses to do the wrong thing it's usually it doesn't need to be corrected in a really nasty way we're not saying run at your dog and chastise it and bite its ear and do a dominance role or anything like that because they chose to lunge at a dog across the street you don't you don't need to to do that as a consequence for that so it it doesn't necessarily mean that even if a dog chooses to do wrong it is then being followed up with harsh handling because that's not necessarily the case so a wrong choice does need to be corrected but it doesn't need to be corrected in a really harsh way Yeah, there's been some really, really good points made there. And I have to say, having had a dog that was fearful for some part of her life and working with a lot of dogs that are fearful, fearful dogs will very often make the wrong choice if you give them choice. So when Indy was gun shy, 
um, she, her choice would have been to bolt three fields to cross roads to get away from that shot. That's not a choice that I can allow my dog to make. And like Abby was just saying about intervening, uh, she had to trust me as her, whether you want to call it educator, train her, trainer, uh, leader, parent figure, whatever you choose to use the word to describe yourself to your dog, the bottom line is the same. I have to do the educating. No running across that road or running across that field or getting under that gate because you're fearful. That's not okay because that could result in injury or even death to that dog. So being able to educate the dog and train the behaviours and then reward and build on them is so important. It's about giving the dog choice and it's consent-based. And I do understand there are, there are situations where the dog's behavioural issues requiring behaviourist support is going to need to have these conversations. I can understand that. And that's probably the point where maybe a trainer needs to be having understands where you, the dog has got issues. The dog doesn't want to do what you want it to do. The dog is showing distress at the, at the things and most dogs are quite happy to learn. That's the time to start talking about like consent-based or choice or things like this. It, it, it reminds me a little bit of like do you know the first time you ever go to the gym and you say I want abs and they sort of go right you're doing like 17 of these dips and 42 of these tricep quilt and I'm like sorry are you speaking the same language as me can you just actually sh tell me what to do like show me tell show try do it works for me tell me what to do show me what to do I'll have a go over it and then I'll do it but this almost like um I don't know. I don't think. I don't think it's ego. I just think the conversation has just become too high level for somebody coming in newly to understand. And they just then, you know, we get these messages all the time. I was told not to touch my dog till it's twelve months old. That's just, the person meant. Don't overtrain. Don't train in a you know in a in a formal way until the dog's twelve months. These people are leaving their dogs in their crates till they're twelve months old because they didn't understand what the trainer was saying. So how do we make it that these conversations are not there when you're trying to learn yourself? I think it needs to be based on really the client in front of you. Somebody that's had dogs a good few years is going to be a little bit more aware of this. They've made mistakes. They've learned from the dogs that they've had previously. Somebody coming in from it as a, as a novice is probably, especially if they want to do well with their dog and they're invested in, in training this dog to whatever standard is, is their own goal, they're going to be quite literal with how they take the trainer's advice. So Telling somebody to leave your dog till it's 12 months old and then go and see a trainer, somebody could take that. I would take that as I'm going to do my manners. I'm going to make sure they sit in their crate before uh, with the door open. I'm going to make sure that they're well socialized. I'm going to make sure that they can be physically restrained should they need to be an emergency. I'd make sure that they have initiative, good body, uh, good body language when they're playing with other dogs. I would do all of that in the 12 months before I actually start any formal training somebody that has never had a dog before like you say is gonna then leave it completely and it is going to be wild it's gonna run up to other dogs and play with them because you've left it and you've never shown it the correct way and to be around other dogs it's gonna barge out of its crate because every time because it's been in its crate for so long that every time you do let it out it's for fun stuff so it's gonna have no manners with its crate 
it could potentially have the same transition over to the car crate, in which case it could jump out into a main road. You haven't given the dog, you haven't shown the dog at any point, what is the correct choice that you could have been training all the way through those 12 months. So that's where I think it's the terms need explaining more. So if you're going to use the terms, they then need to be explained. Like consent-based training is for me that your dog needs to be consenting to the training in a way that it is still doing it for a start it can't just go actually I don't feel like it today I'm not going to do anything at all for you but it also but you need to respect the dog's body language actually if it's fearful or stressed by something it you will stop as well so that you're not pushing them to not trust that relationship with you Uh, yeah and I think um to, to agree with what Emma said but I think it's where as as a trainer, it becomes really handy if you're not just a dog person, but you're also a good people person as well, because you can look at the client in front of you and sort of tailor how much of the dictionary and the thesaurus you feel that they need that day. You know, if they are literally going, OK, I need to know how to teach my dog to sit. This is my first dog. They don't want you to recite the entire entire dog training manual. They want a few hints, tips and pointers to set them on the right path. And there will always be times where as a trainer, you're probably contradicting what you said to that client two sessions ago because the dog has moved on in its training and is therefore needing a slightly different approach or we're having to adapt the method or the the, um, environment has changed. So, again, we've got to do differently to how we said it last time. And there are certainly people out there that have got their first dog for example that are way way too literal and as you've said you know don't do anything 12 months to them means literally don't do anything um and if you say to someone well when you're going to put the lead on you've got to put it on like this or it should go on like this this is how you put a harness on they will do it that way robotically for the rest of the dog's life whereas it may be that actually it was just a puppy and you were saying well if you just lure its head through this bit and encourage it to put its paw through that bit you won't need to do that in a week's time because the dog will have got the hang of it too so it's about being able to to sum up adapt with what you're saying to the person that is in front of you I think if you're a new owner and you're getting your little puppy or your young dog because they live in this human world, these dogs, okay, anything to do with obedience and behavior, okay, you need to manage that. You need to make sure all the ground rules are in. So you can't give your dog too many choices. You need your dog to walk to heel on a lead. Otherwise, it's miserable. It's miserable for 10, 12 years while you get dragged around the countryside. You know, so you need to teach your dog. These are the human rules of what happens when I put the lead on you. Do it all with kindness. You do it with treats. You do it with love or whatever rewards. But you say, this is the deal. When I put the lead on, this is what you do. Um, Same with recall. If you can't get your dog back, you can't really let him off. He can't have a great life. And if you do let him off, he could be in danger. So those sort of training issues and teaching needs to be done your way. Now, when you're doing your gun dog stuff, personally, what I like to do is I do like to let my dogs have a bit more choice. For example, let's talk about sending your dog left and right after you've stopped him. Okay, so let's say the dumb is on the left. I've stopped my dog. I ask my dog to go left. If he then makes the wrong choice and goes right back, forwards or whatever, 
there is a consequence, but that will be the dummy will get picked up. So they can go left, have a look or whatever, the opposite way to what is said. So they've made their own choice there. Okay, and the only bad thing to happen is the dummy's disappeared. So next time when we reset it, I think, well, maybe they'll listen to me this time. But you let them have a little bit more of their thinking. And to me personally, that's how my dogs and a lot of my clients' dogs learn. Is you give them choices at the right time. And that makes absolute clear sense to somebody because like you said at the point where you're doing that the foundations are in place these aren't um life-threatening choices should i run into sheep or shouldn't die should i run out into the road or shouldn't die they aren't those choices those choices they know you've set the rules these are shall we say when you're at you put in the finesse on a dog you're it's a different level of relationship building i think in all of this, got to tell new handlers or novice handlers who are still struggling to get the dog to walk to heel, still struggling to get the dog to sit down. Hold on a minute. Right now, you are the boss. You don't need to be aggressive, but you are the boss. Like you said, it isn't the dogs dragging you around the countryside for 10 years. Going back to the rescue podcast we did, they're not giving these dogs eight months of being dragged around and then they are in the vet or in the rescue centre saying, take the dog from me, it doesn't listen. We're just setting them up to fail all the way from the beginning, from not saying, well, there's the, like, for want of a better word, ten commandments, you shall not do these things. And these are the ones where mm, you can use a little bit more of your own initiative there, dog. I think until we get people to understand where they are to, to say they are the boss and where they are to say I can give my dog more headroom on it, that's surely got to be the clarity that comes from the beginning. And I was just going to add a point really about uh, trainers being mindful of the power imbalance with, when we're helping to train owners that aren't very confident. I certainly find when something goes wrong... Um, with, with an owner and their dog they sort of look at you when something happens and they look at you to see almost for you to sort out and if you kind of ask the question did you did you want your dog to do that and they're like no they kind of don't quite know what to do about it and it was almost like they took a back seat because you were going to step in maybe while you were there so you're having to coach people that to make the right choices as you go along and to help them correct the dog help the dog make the right choices as well um, because there just seems to be that bit where when you're there acting as an expert, the owner sometimes, unless we give them that that balance and, and encouragement, they tend to take a back seat and sort of expect you to, to step in. Exactly that. And I think we've said it before where, um, you know, we've potentially been working with a client and some, the dog has done something that we perceive to have been the wrong choice. And as a trainer, we sort of we we know what the dog is doing we're keeping an eye on the dog but we look towards the owner and you know well how are you going to deal with this and the owner does often then look at us and go um and it's they, they just sort of lose all train of or power of thought if they've got someone with them and they, and they literally just sit there down dumbfounded going uh I don't know what should I have done and so at times it is then like Nikki said down to the trainer to quite literally a b c d and often it starts with we'll go and get your dog and we'll start again but then because it went wrong we've got to look at why it went wrong how it went wrong and what we could do to make it easier for the dog because ultimately we always want to set the dog up for success so with all the choices that we are giving the dog within training 
we want to give one choice a bit of a, a lean, a better path. So we're we're kind of loading one choice. We're giving the dog a loaded choice. We're saying, do you know what? Do you want to go for this canvas dummy or do you want to go for this cold game pheasant that we picked up a couple of weeks ago? If we're introducing, I'm going to use this as an example. If we're introducing our dog to cold game for the first time, it does two dummy retrieves all the time. It knows it's left and right. We also know that the game retrieve is going to be far more exciting to the dog. So when we throw out one canvas, one game retrieve, we're going to load the dog's choice, I personally would anyway, by sending it to retrieve the cold game first. I know that's the one the dog's going to want. What's the point in me sending it towards the canvas dummy when actually in that respect, I'm probably setting the dog up to fail because it might disappear off towards the canvas dummy, but then it will spin around, loop back and go over to the, the cold game. So I'm going to load the choice for the dog that day and I'm going to say, okay, yeah, there is a canvas and a cold game retrieve. I'm going to send you for the cold game first. Once I've got that one safely about my person, then I'm going to send you back for the canvas. Um, and we can give the dog a loaded choice for nearly everything that we do in, in dog training. We've just got to work out how to make it as easy as possible for the dog to take the right choice, take the right path. Everything that you're saying, I know there are people listening to this podcast who haven't stopped nodding yet for like the last 30 minutes because they're getting it while you're saying. The concept of a loaded choice, Sam, when you first said that last week, I was like, that's exactly what it is. So if I was told as a new handler, right, what we're going to do, we're going to teach your dog to, to make this choice, but we're going to load that choice. That choice is the choice to get the rewards. That's the choice that is going to be fun. The other choice is going to be, as Abby said, the dummy gets picked up. So, yeah, there's a right and a wrong. So where do you think is this sort of minority of training? And I, and I, and I try my very best to be very open to every type of training in the LWDG. But there's this really small minority of trainers who maybe they don't understand it themselves or don't understand dogs themselves, who are basically saying, doggo, go out and do what the hell you want. What what makes me extremely passionate about this is not only are they ruining a dog's life, which is bad enough in itself, but holding the lead is somebody who absolutely loves that dog and wants to do so well with that dog. And this might be the first hobby they've had. Like for me, it was my first hobby getting me out of PTSD. I was scared witless being outside the house. And then I was out doing something with the dog that was giving me for the first time freedom. Had I had to face these type of trainers and my dog had been off doing what I wanted all the time, I think I would have probably given up in heartache, sold my dog and never done, gone out again. And for me, that could have been extreme yes because of where I was coming from. It could have mean, meant me not going out again. Why do they think it's right to say to somebody, you let your dog do what it wants for, you know, you're in hour's training, let that dog do what it wants for an hour and we'll just wait until it makes the right choice. It is absolute crap to try and not use a swear word. It's total crap. I think I think a lot of us talk about the fact that we need a bond with our dog. Well, to me personally, if the dog is in charge, if you go and see a trainer and, you know, and let's say it runs off with a dummy and the trainer says, well, we'll just wait till he comes back. And 40 minutes later, he is still running around the field having the party of his life. I mean, it doesn't give anybody any confidence. It just 
gives the dog even more confidence and it means there is actually no bond from the dog's point of view. You know, we're all being taught you need a bond with your dog, you need a bond with a dog. Well, actually, he needs a bond with you. It works both ways. So, so for me, you know, you have to work really, really hard, but you can't give him all these choices. That means that you're left feeling helpless. Okay, you need to take some sort of charge of the situation. You, you don't get angry, you don't get cross, but you need to get that dog back. I have to say that many of my clients um, who have dogs that aren't puppies, um, a lot of them have been you know, to puppy training classes, been to other trainers. And the biggest kind of over, one of the biggest overall problems that I see, one of the biggest is that the, the dog is absolutely trained. It knows all of the things that it should do in that in that sense, all of the things that the owner likes. Um, but it either doesn't know or doesn't care about the things that it shouldn't be doing. Um, so it understands what all the good choices are from the owner's point of view. It also understands what all the good choices are from the dog's point of view too. So when the owner can't offer a reward better than a reward such as chasing a deer or um, following a scent into the undergrowth and disappearing for two hours, um, that um yeah the dog just doesn't understand that that is in the owner's mind the bad choice and like abby was saying that is miserable that is really miserable for the owner um and also for the dog to some to, to some extent because things aren't clear um and that is one of the biggest problems i see and it i it really breaks my heart that someone goes through months maybe years of training with someone that never asks you or never tells you that you should be um correcting when the dog is making what we deem is a bad choice, whether it's dangerous, whether it's um, uh, just a nuisance, um, whether it's dangerous for the dog, dangerous to other people. And I think that's, it's just such a huge problem and it really, really um, can destroy the relationship. And it also means that people can't enjoy their dogs. Yeah, just following on from what Abby and Rose just said, for me, what you were just saying, Joe, you were just saying, you know, how confusing for the owners and how do they know and what to do. I think, you know, we spend a lot of time educating puppies and young dogs on all the behaviours that we do want. And that's absolutely what we should be doing. We should be using luring and shaping and guided learning to teach the dogs. And we should reward those good choices in a way that the dog finds rewarding, not just shoveling treats down their throat. Not all dogs find that rewarding. So we should be finding a way that the dog finds it rewarding. And like Abby said earlier, there also comes a time when the dog is more advanced, where we do put them in situations where they are making more choices because they're educated enough to learn from that. You know, and that's the point that the dog is educated enough to learn from that. A puppy can't learn from that. And for me, if you if you speak to a trainer and you've got a problem, and I'm going to just say it as I feel it should be, if you've got a problem with your dog and they cannot tell you how to start to resolve that problem and only tell you to manage it, that's not probably the right trainer for you. That trainer should be helping you solve a problem, not just manage something. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, what I was going to say is that I think also there's a phrase used um, an awful lot as an excuse, which is a teenage phase, 
where your dog ultimately goes backwards in inverted commas. And I think it was what Claire was saying at the start of that um, when she just spoke that we spend a lot of time training, luring, kind of letting them make mistakes as a puppy. But as soon as they get to adulthood, we expect a fully trained dog that's going to make all the right choices when you've also got a peak in hormones, whether it's a bitch or a dog. So at that point, the choices are going to change. Things are going to be more attractive than they once were as a puppy when it wanted to be glued to your leg. So that's when even more of a reason for these loaded choices to come about need to be put in place so that you're helping the dog throughout that kind of confusing mental state make even better right choices so that they come out of that teenage phase still as well-trained and as glued to you and as bonded with you as they were as a puppy in the same phase as they are going through this teenage hormonal stage, as people call it as well. And another thing is that my talking about teenagers, I remember my mum sitting me down when I was 12, when I was 12 years old. And she said, we can have a horrific teenage phase or we can have a really nice one. But these are my rules. You will respect me. You will listen to me. And then therefore I will be there for you and I will be your friend. And I think that has kind of got lost in dog training that actually we can be nice to them. We can be their friend but we set the rules as, as the humans, as the, as the race in charge of the whole world, we need to set the rules and we can't let dogs do that. And that's a massively valid point, isn't it? Like you've got to set the rules and keep steering the ship because in any family, not about, you know, again, another thing, don't, uh, you're not the leader of your dog. Yes, you are the leader of your dog. You, we were wolves, we were this, we were that, whatever. Take everything away now. Just some basic common sense in the world today, please, of somebody has to run the family, somebody has to set the rules. Em, like you said, your mum said, right, you can either, we can either have a fun way of doing it, and this is how that looks, or we can have a not-so-fun way of looking, but this way. But either way, you're going to do what I ask. That's the reality of it. So you can go along with it, you can enjoy it, I can give you some negotiation, Mom, can I say I've been since 10, since half past nine? Yes, because you've asked nicely and you've been good for a week. Yes, you can. That type of stuff, which whatever you're saying about letting the dog have his head a little bit, let him make his decisions. Because ultimately, when it does, if it does ever go and work on a mistake, there are places you can't see it. And it's going to have to make choices without you saying, go left a bit, right a bit, back a bit, forward a bit. But whilst you have got that dog as the family leader of your household, you have got to be the rule maker. There cannot be a way for you to shirk that responsibility. And and I don't mean this in a bad way, but if you're looking to not tell your dog or lead your dog in some way, you are shirking the responsibility that comes of having a dog. Of You've got to keep it safe and you've got to keep it on some sort of sense of, of what it needs to do in order to get through a human's world. I think we thought that you said it quite well there. We were all just sort of nodding along and agreeing and going, yep, yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, I mean, going back to what I said earlier about the, you know, the dog that goes and picks up its lead when it wants a walk. Throughout the day, you might not think it's a horrific thing. You're bored of sitting at your desk and you want to go out for a leg stretch anyway. So if your dog turns up at your heels with its lead in its mouth, in the beginning, you're probably inclined to go, oh, go on then, mate, let's have a quick trot around the garden or a quick trot around the block. But if it starts doing it when you're in the middle of an important call, when you're trying to bath your baby, when you've just fallen asleep and it's two o'clock in the morning, 
you at that point are going to be the family leader and say, no, mate, you are not dictating to me every time you want to go for a walk. We're going to go. I'm going to make sure that your needs are met, fulfilled, and probably I've gone above and beyond. But at the end of the day, if I say, no, it's not walk time, I mean, no, it's not walk time. And that's me making that decision. Yeah, I was going to follow on from Sam that actually I um, I saw a client who had a Rottweiler puppy and I went and did a home visit. So this pup's pre-vaccination and I got there and the dog was running around the top of the furniture, the top of the sofa. So right around the back of the and the kids in the house were laughing. They thought it was great. They thought the dog having puppy zoomies was amazing. And I remember saying to them, is that a choice that you want this puppy to make when it is 45 kilos? And they said to me, oh, no, but we'll just tell it that it can't do it then. And that's kind of what we need to then really think about is that actually these choices that we want and these rules that we're putting into the house, they need to be from day one and they need to be consistent and they need to stay there from day one. Because otherwise, telling a teenage puppy that when it is 45 kilos, it's suddenly what it's been doing that people have been laughing about and interacting with and rewarding it with just constant actual communication is suddenly now not rewardable. And you're going to get told off for doing that. And you're going to get dragged off the sofa and put on the floor and things like that. And that's where you then start to get behavior problems because we've changed the rules halfway through this dog's life. So this has been quite an emotive podcast, as I said. And I think a lot of us have, have, have been honest and open and I hope that if you're listening to this you you've sort of it's given you some food for thought to, to wrap up on the uh, normal LWDG positive ending what are your sort of like top tips for ensuring that your dog is given choice at appropriate times I think as long as as Emma just said you set your ground rules your boundaries from day dot and that doesn't mean that you can't ever change anything um but for example if you've got a dog that is going to turn into a large breed and you don't want it coming from muddy woodland and then doing zoomies around the back of your sofa don't allow that from the word go um so provided you've got a good grounding you are consistent and fair then you can right from the word go also give a certain element of choice are you going to sit for this treat are you going to choose not to sit for this treat? In which case, I'm going to look at why you didn't sit for this treat, how I can make it easier for you to sit for this treat, and how can we give you a loaded choice so that you do sit for this treat and everyone gets where we want to be. Things like recall. Am I going to stand the other side of a half-closed door and sort of half-heartedly call your name whilst I'm shouting up the stairs for the kids to come down for dinner or am I going to open the door be out with you in the garden crouch down when I want you to come back be nice and inviting and open-armed high-pitched and fun again I'm going to give you a loaded choice right from day dot to make it easier for you so that we can all move forward in a positive manner but knowing that you know you're not allowed to run around the back of the sofa. You're not allowed to barge out the door. You're not allowed to throw yourself at the boot of the car before I've even opened it. So it's about being fair, consistent, um, and rewarding everything you can and making it as easy for the dog as you can. Be as consistent as you can and do take the time to educate your puppy or your young dog in what you want it to do. Reward those things heavily. Don't slip into the trap of bribing the dog instead of rewarding the dog. 
be really clear with the dog, have fun with the dog and just build that relationship based on trust and be a really good responsible dog owner that has a dog that you can take everywhere just through being that. Don't overcomplicate it. So thank you for those top tips there. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast and it's helped you to get some clarity around another part of terminology that might have been confusing and frustrating you. Um, and join us next week for another episode of LWDG Pod Dog. Thank you for listening to LWDG Pod Dog with me, Joe Parrott. Now we all know training a dog takes time, energy and patience, but our lives can be really, really busy. Don't worry, the LWDG has got you covered. Join us for our free planning workshop where we'll show you how to use short 10-minute training sessions each day to fast-forward your dog's education. Our experts have years of experience in training dogs and will help you get started on the right foot. Register now and start making progress with your furry friend today. Go to our Facebook page, The Ladies Working Dog Group, and click on the pinned post or visit www.thelwdg.com. Thank you.